On April 6 of 1940, a gentleman by the name of Walter Chaplinski was walking down the road in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. And as he's walking down the street, he starts throwing out insults and derogatory and offensive comments to people who are also walking down the street. So these people get really, really mad and agitated. They don't even know this guy, but a crowd begins to form around Chaplinski. And as the crowd forms, a riot begins to take place. So the police are called, the police show up, and when the police come, they come in and pull Chaplinsky out of the middle of the circle, out of the middle of the riot, and they put him in a squad car and take him away to the station just for his own protection. Now, the police officer was doing a favor to the Chaplinsky so he didn't get beat up or killed by the riot, but on the drive to the police station, Chaplinsky also starts throwing out insults to the police officer, making derogatory comments to the police officer. So the cop's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to protect you, but fine, be that way, I'll throw you in jail. So he throws him in jail. It goes to court, and it goes to this trial. And the question is, did Chaplinsky do anything wrong? Did he actually break the law in any way? You can't just throw somebody in jail for the sake of throwing them in jail. Did he actually break the law in some sort of way? It goes all the way to the Supreme Court in the state of New Hampshire. Chaplinsky says, I didn't do anything wrong. I just used my words. The prosecution says, well, yeah, he used his words to incentivize and start a riot. That's what he did wrong. So in the Supreme Court, the judges, there's multiple judges in the Supreme Court, they decided, okay, we've got to figure out, did he break the law? Did he do anything wrong? And so they, they presided over this and they talked about it. And after a while, they came to the conclusion that, yes, Chaplinsky was guilty. Now, what was he guilty of? The judges said, well, he used his words in such a way to inspire and motivate other people to cause a riot. He, he was the one that started the riot. In fact, the, the presiding judge, Just, Justice Murphy, he was the one who came in and he said, he, was, he said specifically, he used, Chaplinsky used his words to become fighting words. Now that phrase, fighting words, had never been used in a court of law anywhere in the United States until 1940, and so he had to define it. It's never been said before, so what does that mean? What are fighting words? Here's what Justice Murphy said. He defined fighting words as this. He said, fighting words are words which by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. By their very utterance, they cause harm. There are words by their very utterance that cause damage, or they incite somehow in some way something in somebody else to make them want to breach the peace. That's what fighting words are. And so the, the judges in the Supreme Court in New Hampshire made the conclusion, they said, okay, there, there is such a way that you can use your words, fighting words, to, to cause damage and harm to people and breach the peace. And those types of words, fighting words, are therefore not covered by the First Amendment. They are not covered by the freedom of speech, and therefore it is illegal to use fighting words. Therefore, Chaplinsky was found guilty, felt guilty of breaking the law. He was thrown in prison for six months. He sat in prison, and from that point forward, from the mid-1940s forward, there has been a law on the books that says you cannot use fighting words that cause harm and damage to other people. Now, that being said, this has been on the books for over however many years, since the mid-1940s, yet courts still to this day, in 2020, still battle and they argue and fight over what constitutes fighting words. How do you define that? Now, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I'm just a pastor who has an opinion. I have an opinion. I have some, uh, some thoughts and some theories as far as what fighting words are. In fact, I could put a sentence up on the screen behind me that might be considered by some to be fighting words. The Cowboys are God's favorite football team. 
<laughs> now, some of you are clapping because you love Jesus and you love the Cowboys. And for those of you who are like, there's some of you who are like, I'll meet you out in the parking lot, son. Like it's, it's in, inspiring you to throw punches at me. And I, I'm kind of kidding around, but, but if you were to go and take that statement up to Denver outside of the Broncos stadium on, on game day and throw that around, you might actually get beat up. If you were to take the opposite statement and, and go to Dallas and say, hey, the Broncos are God's favorite football team, you might get beat up. These are, these are actually fighting words for some people. I'll give you another example. I heard about a girlfriend who went to her boyfriend and she said, honey, will you be honest with me? Am I pretty or am I ugly? Boyfriend said, well, you're both. She said, well, what does that mean? He says, you're pretty ugly. <laughs> oh, fighting words. <laughs> I heard another story about a teacher of a third grade class. She goes to the class and she says, she says, uh, all right, can anybody tell me, kids, students, can anybody tell me what do we get from a chicken? Little Johnny raises his hand. He says, we get eggs, eggs from the chicken. She says, that's correct. We get eggs from the chicken. She says, okay, can anybody tell me what we get from the pig? Little Johnny says, bacon. We get bacon from the pig. That's right, Johnny. Good job, Johnny. Can anybody tell me what do we get from a cow? Little Johnny raises his hand, homework. For many of you, that was like one, two, three. Oh, little Johnny. Fighting words right now. You can't have a teacher go and pick a fight with a kid for something like that. Uh, but it probably makes the teacher's blood boil. I heard somebody say this. God made rivers. God made lakes. God made you. Shoot, everybody makes mistakes. Fighting words, right? Ladies, perhaps somebody has at one point come up to you and says, hey, when's the baby due? And there was no baby due. Fighting words. Perhaps you had a brand new outfit, you were excited to wear this outfit, and, and you finally you wear the new outfit in public, and somebody comes up and says, I wouldn't be caught dead in that. Fighting words. Maybe somebody comes up to you and says, hey, no offense, but, and then insults you. So something really mean and offensive to you. And somehow by, by saying no offense, but it's supposed to negate that, it's supposed to magically make it not offensive. Sometimes people use their words to cut people down. Some probably, sometimes people use their words to cause damage. I came across, across this quote recently. Maybe this is something you can resonate with. It says this, some people should use a glue stick instead of a chapstick. <laughs> Maybe that would throttle some of the fighting words that come out of people's mouths. Maybe that would make this world a little bit of a better place. Maybe it would just be a good practical joke. Judge, back in 1940, he defined fighting words, and he said it's words that, that potentially cause harm and damage or words that will incite somebody to breach the peace. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Just because you have free speech does not mean you're free to breach the peace. Just because you have free speech does not mean you're free to breach the peace. In other words, regardless of what the Constitution says, regardless of what the amendments say, regardless of what the courts say, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should say something. Just because you have the ability to say something doesn't mean you should say something. Look at what uh, Solomon says, Proverbs 12, 18. He says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. The words of the reckless cut people. Is that what God wants us to do with our mouths, with our tongues, with our words, to cut people down? No. Look what Solomon says, Proverbs 15.1. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. God doesn't want us to cut people. 
to, to hurt people, to harm people with our words. Yet oftentimes that's what we do. It's all sorts of scriptures about how we should be conscientious about how we use our language, what we should say, what we should not say. Proverbs eleven seventeen: Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Look at Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That's an inspiration for us, right? To use our words in a way that's sweet to people. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. You see, what we need to understand is that our words have the, the ability to bring life to people or death to people. Our, our words have the ability to create or to cut, to build or destroy. So we should be very conscientious and very careful with how we use our words and what we say, whether we use fighting words or not. There's a story in the Bible that kind of talks about this in, in an interesting way. And I want to unpack that story. If you happen to have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, you should bring one. If you don't have one, I'll buy you one. Uh, or you can download one on the YouVersion app if you have a smartphone. Or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 8. Let me set it up for you. Jesus goes from town to town, village to village, teaching. Right? He's sharing with, with people. And, and as he goes from town to town and village to village, more people start following after him. He has large crowds. Now, we don't know how large the crowds were. Some of the crowds were up to 5,000 people. Typically, they only counted men back then, so perhaps women and children weren't counted. So five to 10,000 people in these large crowds. Well, that's where we jump in this story, Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Now, why was he on the mountainside? Probably because he was teaching. When Jesus stands on the bottom of the mountainside and all the people are up on the side of the hill or the mountain, it's kind of like a built-in amphitheater. There's no speakers, no microphones, and so he can speak to the people and they can hear him because he's on the mountainside. So large crowds are coming off the mountain with Jesus, probably because he was just teaching them. Verse Verse 2, Matthew 8, 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, let me stop here for a second. This man has leprosy. Now, leprosy was no joking matter 2,000 years ago. People were freaked out over leprosy. Why? Because, because it was highly contagious and there was no cure. There's no vaccine. Which is interesting because 2,000 years ago, the people that were freaked out are probably like the people today in 2020 looking at the coronavirus. Highly contagious and no vaccine, right? So they're worried, they're freaked out. And the responses were similar 2,000 years ago as they are even today. They would quarantine people 2,000 years ago. You have leprosy, you're going to get quarantined. Kind of like these entire cities over in China. Perhaps cities in the United States. Who, who knows where this coronavirus is going? Which, by the way, don't be offended if I don't give you bumps or knuckles or hugs. You can just stop hugging each other. It's totally fine. Anyway, so... They would quarantine people. They would quarantine these lepers, and they would put them in their leper colonies, so they were away from the society, away from culture, and they would make them dress up in different clothes, so they were recognizable based on their clothes that that person is a leper. They would oftentimes hang bells around, around their neck, cowbells, so when they were walking, people could hear them coming. They were also required by the government to yell, unclean, if they were walking into a public area, unclean, so everybody would know that's a person with leprosy. So, so mind you, large crowds are around Jesus, and all of a sudden, at the bottom of the hill, when they're coming off the hill, a man kneels down in front of Jesus and says, Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I don't know if he was wearing the, the leper clothes. I don't know if he had a belt. I don't know that. I don't know if he busted out of his quarantine. I'm not sure. But as soon as he said those words, you can make me clean, that was, that was the, the reason as far as how everybody else knew this man, this man's a leper. And that just indicated to everybody else around. And I can only imagine this whole crowd, thousands of people that want to be near and close to Jesus. I'm sure this man kneels down and says, you can make me clean. I'm sure people are like, back up, back up. That guy's a leper. Back up, everybody. He's highly contagious. Watch out, Jesus. Watch out. He's right in front of you. 
Now, as everybody's probably flipping out, Jesus has a decision. Does he look at this man who has leprosy, who is obviously hurting and has hope? Does he throw out potentially fighting words of, oh, you're, you're unclean. Get away from me. You're a leper. Get away from me. He's got a couple options. Does he just walk around, this guy? He's highly contagious. Does he, does he run the other way because I want to get away from him? Do you push him aside? What does he do in this situation? I'm sure everybody's backed up. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are watching the response. And what Jesus does next, I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't think his disciples saw it. People up on the mountainside, I don't think anybody saw what happened next. Here's what happened next. Verse 3, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. And I'm sure throughout the whole group, the whole crowd, <gasps> he touched him. He just touched the leper. Did you see that? He touched him. He's, he's got it now. He's got leprosy. Jesus touched him. Now imagine what it must have been like to be that leper. Imagine being the guy that's been quarantined and isolated and feel like nobody wants anything to do with me. Imagine feeling like that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, your only hope, you can make me clean, he says. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus touches him. Imagine what that must have meant to the leper. Imagine, imagine what the leper heard through that touch. Now, mind you, Jesus didn't say a single word. But don't be confused. He for sure was heard. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus didn't have to say a single word in order to be heard. Yet he touches this man without even saying anything. What do you think he heard? Perhaps that man with leprosy heard, I see you. Perhaps that man with leprosy heard, I'm right there with you. Perhaps he even heard, I care for you. I love you. Then right after that, the man had, had said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus says, I am willing and be clean. And boom, he was cleansed from his leprosy. Now imagine what that must have been like. This man who had been quarantined, man who was isolated, man who nobody wanted to be around. All of a sudden, all of a sudden he doesn't have to wear the clothes anymore. He doesn't have to wear the, the bell around his neck. He doesn't have to be isolated and away from everybody else in the society. All of a sudden, everything is changed because he's now just like everybody else. He gets to be around everybody else. This was a life-changing uh, situation for this man who formerly had leprosy. Now, I, w I, I wish that that scenario didn't still take place in 2020. I wish that people didn't feel alienated and pushed aside. I wish that people didn't feel like they were outcasts in society. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus. I'm talking about a whole different group of people, a whole group of people that feel alienated, pushed out, that, that they're lesser than, that people don't want to talk to them, people avoid them, people don't make eye contact with them. And that whole group of people, those are people with disabilities. And there's people that have disabilities all throughout our midst, and oftentimes people are like, well, I don't know what to say, I'm not going to look at them, I'm going to avoid them, I want to walk around them because maybe their disability is contagious, and we alienate people who are different. But here's the crazy thing. There's all sorts of people that have disabilities. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing somebody with a disability to somebody who has leprosy, but perhaps, perhaps they can empathize. Perhaps people with disabilities can empathize what it must have felt like 2,000 years ago to have leprosy. 
There's a lot of people that have disabilities in our midst. Here's some statistics of people that have disabilities. One in five people in the world have a disability. That means of seven billion people in the world, over a billion people have disabilities. 19% of people in the United States, 19 of Americans have a disability. 56.7 million, million Americans have a disability. That's a lot of people that have disabilities, right? And so you would think that with all these people in our midst, in our society, in our culture that have disabilities, you would think that they would feel maybe accepted, maybe welcomed, maybe loved, at, at least in the church, right? You would think. But oftentimes the church is a place where they feel least welcomed, least accepted, and least loved. There's a woman named uh, Amy Lee. She wrote a book as it relates to special needs and ministries and churches, and she interviewed over 60 families to ask them different questions as it related to, to their family with people who have different abilities or disabilities. And so, so she, she asked all these questions, and she came out, and, and in her book, she said this statement, which was, eye-opening to me. She said this. She said, the source of the greatest relational bruising for parents, parents of dis uh, kids with disabilities, had been the church. The source of the greatest relational bruising, not some relational bruising, the source of the greatest, the most relational bruising for parents with kids with disabilities came from the church. We're not doing our job, are we? Because the church shouldn't be a place where people are missing people. The church shouldn't be a place where people are missed. The church shouldn't be a place where people are cast aside as outcasts. This should be a place that's inclusive. This should be a place that people feel loved no matter what abilities that they have. And speaking of abilities, even the term disability, in my opinion, is a fighting word. Because here's the reality. We're all created by the same creator, right? We've all been created by God, and maybe my abilities are different than this person's abilities, and this person's abilities are different than this person's, but we all have abilities. So, so perhaps people that have different abilities don't have disabilities. Maybe they're just different abilities. So maybe we should stop talking about people with disabilities and say they just have different abilities. That's a fighting word. You want to know another fighting word that people throw around as it relates to the people with different abilities? Retard. People throw it out all the time in conversation. Oh, that's retarded. You're retarded. This is retarded. That's retarded. We just throw it around like it's a normal term. You don't understand how wounding that is to people. We're not supposed to use our words like swords and cut people down. We're supposed to use our words to build people up. And even if you're not referring to somebody who has different abilities, just throwing that word out there can be offensive to people. Look what it says in James 1.26. It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. We've got to be careful with what we say. We have to be intentional with what we say. And here's my challenge to you this morning. Here's my hope is that you can make the decision to ban the R word from your vocabulary. Kind of like some of the people in this video. Check it out. My sister has an intellectual disability. I really like to cuddle with Isabel when Isabel's laying by herself while mom's getting ready to go places or doing stuff. I like to hang out with Isabel and play with her. She's really just perfect. I really, really, really love her. Sister. My brother. My sister has Down syndrome, but that doesn't define her. He's a piano player. He's a dancer. She's my best friend. And he's a great brother. And when you call him a retard, or even use the word retarded, you take all of that away. Using that word is never funny. 
no matter how you use it. Even if you're not talking about a person with a disability, it's never the right word to use about anything, ever. Every time we hear it, it hurts those of us who love somebody with Down syndrome. It's just wrong. Just this last Wednesday on March 4th, there's a national movement. It's almost like a holiday, and it's called Spread the Word to End the Word. And it's a movement that's been taking place for many years, and it's Spread the Word to End the Word, specifically referring to the R word. And, and this movement is gaining steam. Millions of people throughout the world have taken the pledge to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to end the R word. I'm not going to use that because I don't want my words to tear people down or hurt people or cut people. And the more that we spread the word to end the word, the more we are going to not push people away, but the more we're going to include people, and the more we're going to be able to love people. The more we try to include people and love people who have different abilities, the more we'll see walls breaking down and people feeling like they're not alienated or, or isolated any longer. The more stories we'll see, like this kid in Target who recently was taking a picture where he's in a wheelchair, and this kid sees for the first time another kid in a, as a model in a wheelchair. The more we'll have people feel like they're included, like, like they're a part of society. The more people will, will have, like the assistant principal recently, who has a, an eight-year-old who has Down syndrome, and this, this kid had a bad day, a rough day, so he laid down on the concrete, and rather than try to pick him up and force him to do something, the assistant principal laid down right there next to the kid. The more inclusive that we're going to become. Several years ago, when my, my wife and I, when we got uh, engaged, or when we were preparing to get engaged, when we started dating, um, we, we started having these conversations, and she said, something you need to know about me, Matt, Something you need to realize is that there's another man in my life. <laughs> and I said, great, what is this, like sister wives or what? Like husband, brothers or something? <laughs> there's going to be many people in this relationship. And she said, no, uh, there's a man in my life. His name's Tim Harris. And Tim Harris, he has Down syndrome. And, and Tim uh, is one of the most important people in my life. And so I want, Matt, I want you to meet him. And so I'll be honest with you, I had never even had a conversation with somebody with Down syndrome before needless to say, a friend who has Down syndrome. And so Ashton wanted me to meet this person who's very, very important to her. And so I was like, well, sure, I'd, I'd love to, to meet Tim. And so uh, almost out of obligation, I went and met Tim a few days later. And what I discovered is that Tim Harris is one of the coolest people I have ever met. One of the most compassionate, one of the most loving, one of the most accepting, one of the most energetic people I have ever met in my life. And I realized I've been missing out. Been missing out on friendships with people like Tim. In my conversations with Tim, I, I learned and discovered he wanted to create a restaurant. It was his desire to create a restaurant. So he did. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, started a restaurant called Tim's Place. First person with Down syndrome in the world that created a restaurant. 
So news agencies from all over the world came in. He was on the Today Show. He was interviewed by all these people. He's all over the news. He, he's had videos of, of his restaurant that went viral. He, he ran the restaurant for about five years, and then he closed the restaurant to become a public speaker. And he goes around the country, around the world now, speaking and motivating people. And he's been in a motivation in my life. He's been an inspiration in my life. In fact, our firstborn son, his name, Noah Timothy Mizell. Timothy named after Tim Harris. And he now lives in Colorado, but I've convinced him to come down here so you could meet him in person. So if you would do me the pleasure of giving a warm Farmington round of applause for both my wife and our best friend, Tim Harris. Let's give a round of applause. Oh, yeah! <laughs> You get a standing ovation. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> uh, I want to ask, ask the two of you some questions because you, you have a very inspiring story. Uh, and Tim, thank you for coming. I know a couple days ago you were in Panama, and I know a couple days before that you were in Los Angeles, and a couple days from now you're going to be in Colorado. You're all over the place. And so for you to, to carve out some time in and spend some time with us, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here, buddy. Uh, well, we're thankful for you, too. Um, Ashton, let me ask you the first question. Obviously, you guys have a great friendship. How did this friendship come to fruition? <laughs> there we go. Okay, so Tim and I met when I was a freshman in high school. I worked at a restaurant called Red Robin in Albuquerque, and Tim and his family used to come in every Sunday at five o'clock, and I recognized him because we went to the same high school. We both attended El Dorado High School in Albuquerque together, and so I recognized him, and every Sunday evening, I would talk to Tim and get to know him, and one Sunday, I asked him, Tim, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, I want to own a restaurant, and I want it to be just like Red Robin, except I want to call it Tim's Place, and I want it to be breakfast, lunch, and hugs. And so I remember Tim left that day, and I went to our manager, and I said, I want Tim to work here. I want him to work at Red Robin. This is what he wants to do with his life, and I think he's going to do amazing. And he looked at me, and he said, Ashton, that can't happen. Tim, we've never had anybody with a special ability like Tim work at Red Robin before. And I said, I'll do everything. You schedule him with me. I'll pick him up. I'll take him home. I'll do everything. I want him to work here. And he still said no. But I didn't take no for an answer. And so with the help of Tim's parents, we went to the very, very top of Red Robin to corporate and we got Tim a job. And so Tim worked with me for four years at Red Robin. He was a host with me. And so he used to open the door and greet people, see people. He used to bring little kids balloons and he just did an amazing job. But, you know, when we were freshmen, something um, about Tim too is he would tell me at school he had a hard time. Um, Tim was part of the special ed department at El Dorado. And so I didn't get to see him very often, but he would often tell me that he would get bullied at school a lot. And so I kind of did the same thing at school. I was part of our student council. I was, it was called Senate at the time. And I went to our student council director and I said, I want Tim to be on student council. And they said, mm, no, Ashton, we've never had anybody with Tim's ability to be on student council before. And I said, I'll do everything. I'll take him to meetings. I'll make him successful. I'll help him. I'll do everything. And so they finally said, okay. So Tim joined student council and that kind of changed Tim's whole high school career from that point forward because people would come into our restaurant from high school and they would see Tim just like anybody else working. And then they would see him at um, homecoming, planning things at assemblies. And then Tim became the mascot of our high school. He would wear our little Eagle costume and he'd run around football games and basketball games. And it was just so amazing to see that. And so 
Tim did amazing. He won Homecoming King. He became the most popular kid of our whole high school. He won Student of the Year. Tim went on after that to go to Eastern New Mexico University in Roswell. He went to four years of college, but that didn't stop our friendship. We stayed best friends all through college. I stayed at UNM in Albuquerque, and um, we've continued to be best friends, and he was part of Matt and I's wedding as a best man, and he was the king of the ring in our wedding. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he was very special, and he's uh, honorary Uncle Tim to our sweet kids. So it's been very special. We're still best friends to this day. Mm. Awesome. Thank you, Ashton. Uh, Tim, I have a couple of questions for you, too. Okay. Ashton just mentioned you've been best friends for a long, long time. What does your friendship with Ashton mean to you? My friendship with Ashton has been really, really special. Having a lifelong best friend is totally awesome. I love her. <laughs> Me too. And of course, having a best friend as a lead pastor here is awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's awesome right there. So, Ashton, let me ask you that same question. What does your friendship with Tim mean to you? Well, I think it's very obvious that Tim has changed my entire life and he's changed our family's life. And, you know, some people may look at our friendship and think, I've done all these things for Tim. You know, I helped him get a job or helped him in high school or helped him get to where he is today. But I can honestly tell you that our friendship has been mutually beneficial. Tim has benefited my life more than I think he, I have benefited his life. Because when I met Tim, I was this little tiny insecure freshman high school girl with braces and acne. And I was trying to have cool clothes and fit in with all the cool kids and have the cool car. And high school is hard and people are mean. And it was exhausting for me. But Tim has this amazing ability to see past all that. Tim doesn't care what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in. He doesn't care the color of your skin. Tim has this amazing ability of looking straight into people's hearts. And that's what he did for me. When I was this little insecure high school girl, he looked straight into my heart and all of my insecurities went away. And I oftentimes say that Tim sees the world through love glasses. Like that is how Tim sees the world is just through love. And he sees straight to people's hearts. And so that is how I have truly tried to live my life. Um, Tim gave me a confidence in our friendship that I never would have gained. And I um, just want to see the world like Tim sees the world. And I I hope to teach our kids the same thing. Mm -hmm. Tim, uh, you and I are best friends. We are best friends. Yep. Uh, I want to ask you what could be an offensive or a sensitive question, but because we're friends, you know that, that I'm not offending you. Have you ever heard somebody use the term retard in your presence? I did. How, how did that make you feel? It made me feel really sad and and it hurts my friends too. But in case you know, I been always been the outward, and Matt and Ashton told me that they banned that word in their house too. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that makes me sad too. That that you hear those words, Tim, because quite frankly, Ashton talked about this. You have special abilities. You have different abilities, and and quite frankly, you're one of the most talented people that I know. Uh, what people probably don't know about you is that you have uh, competed in Special Olympics. In fact, you have quite a few Special Olympics medals, don't you? How many do you have? I have a way over 50 medals <laughs> and competed for 19 years, and I outstaged Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
more yeah, medals, medals, more medals than Michael Phelps. That's, that's oh yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, so you're kind of a celebrity. You're kind of a big deal. In fact, I know that you got invited to go to the White House, and and back when President Obama was the president, you had the opportunity to meet him. In fact, we we've tracked down some footage of you meeting Barack Obama. Let's check out some of this footage. <laughs> Tim's fired up. Tim is, Tim is fired up. Although Tim, I didn't get a hug. Come on, man. Oh, here we go. All right. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, buddy. I love you, Obama. I love you, Bob. Say, you know. Presidents need some encouragement once in a while, too. You know, that, that felt really good. That was nice. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I, I love that. Presidents need encouragement, too. Show me anybody else that can get through Secret Service and security to be able to hug the President of the United States. Oh, yeah. This man can do that. <laughs> uh, Ashton, let me ask you a question. What is your message to other people about those who have different abilities? Gosh, you know, as you can see, Tim has done such amazing things with his life, and he continues to do that with his ability. He's defied all of the odds. And, you know, Red Robin used to track the statistics of when we used to work together there, and they showed that business went up by 50% every time Tim was working in the restaurant. People used to come to Red Robin just to see Tim. And today, if you go to Red Robin's across the country, you will see people of all abilities working in that restaurant, which is so awesome and so inspiring. And Tim did that. He broke that. And so, you know, and the reason is because he is more like me. He is more like you than he is different. And so I want people with all abilities to hear that and to know that you are more like this world than you are different. And something that Tim had written in big letters on the walls of Tim's place of his restaurant when you walked in the door was a quote by Walt Disney that said, if you can dream it, you can do it. And so I want people with all abilities to know if you dream it, you can do it because Tim is a living, breathing example of that. Awesome. Tim, you. Don't cry, Matt. <laughs> You're a leader in my life. The way that you love people, the way you accept people. I have a specific example of how you changed and inspired me when Ashton and I were preparing for our wedding. I remember you, you made it very clear when we started dating. You said, Ashton's your best friend. <laughs> so, I understand. Oh, yeah. But then a few weeks after we got to know each other, you, you also said, Matt, I'm your best friend. And I was like, yeah, I took away the title. But then you told Barack Obama, he's your best friend. <laughs> and, and I said, you can't have all these different best friends. And what you told me, you said, well, why not? Why can't I have many best friends? And, and that made me think, you know, we were preparing for our wedding and I was like, you know, who's going to be my best man? And then all my groomsmen and Ashton was thinking, who's going to be my maid of honor? And then all my bridesmaids. But you inspired me and, and Ashton to do away with the hierarchy. We just said, let's make everybody best men. All the guys in my wedding, they're all best men. And all the maids of honor, there's no bridesmaids. They're all maids and matrons of honor. And, and that was 10 years ago because of you and your inspiration to us. So, 
So one of the, the quotes that I love, you have a quote as it relates to friendship and best friends. And this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Do you remember what that quote is? Yes, I do. Share, share with our friends here what that quote is. I do have a disability, but I have the ability of making best friends. That's right. And I, and I am thankful to be one of those best friends. I'm really grateful for that. Tim, we talked about a few minutes ago your restaurant. And in your restaurant, you served three things. What were those three things? Breakfast, lunch, and hugs. <laughs> and here, here's what's awesome about breakfast, lunch, and hugs in the restaurant. People literally would come all over the world to hug this man. They, I, I would, I was, we'd be in the restaurant. People would come in. We're from New Zealand. We're from China. We've traveled 6,000 miles to get a hug from you, Tim Harris. You, so you're, you're a big deal when it comes to, to hugging people. You're, you're probably the most professional hugger in this entire congregation. In fact, you've probably hugged more people. In fact, I, I know at the restaurant you counted hugs, and you had a wall, a, a counter on the wall, and every day you'd walk around with a little counter and, and count the number of hugs. And in five years, how many hugs did you give out? I looked it up on YouTube last night, and yeah. I hit, and I... Saw so it was 75,402 hugs. <laughs> 75,402. So, so hypothetically, I know that there, there's the concern about flu and coronavirus and all that, but if somebody wanted a hug, because you're, you're going to go to Colorado after this and you're going to disappear after this, and so if somebody here, just curious, would anybody want a hug from, from Tim Harris? Okay, quite a few people. Oh, yeah. If, if anybody wants a hug, you're, you're going to be out in the plaza as soon as you're done here. Would you be willing to get, give out some of your world-famous Tim hugs today? I'm so excited about it. You're excited about it? Awesome. Well, well, Tim and Ashton, they're going to be in the plaza in just a few moments when they leave. But before we, we break, and, and I would ask that you hang with us for just a couple more minutes. Before we leave here, Tim and Ashton have a very special announcement that they've made a video about. And we want to share that announcement with you right now. Check it out. Hi, I'm Ashton. And I am Tim. And we have something awesome that's coming to Pinion Hills Community Church. We are so excited because we are going to be starting a new ministry called the VIP Ministry. VIP stands for Very Important Person because we believe that every person is so important. We want them to be able to come to our church and know how important they are and how loved that they are. So people with awesome abilities like me can be part of this awesome Ministry. <laughs> That's right, Tim. We want anybody in our community that has an awesome ability or has any special need of any kind to be able to come to our church on Sunday mornings and be included in church. So if you are somebody that has an awesome ability or you know somebody that is, we would love for them to be part of this ministry. Maybe you have a heart to serve in this ministry. We need you. So you can head to our website at phcc.church to sign up or for more information. We cannot wait to meet you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ashley. <laughs> so friends, that means today we're launching a brand new ministry here at Pinion Hills Community Church called the VIP Ministry. And you mentioned it briefly, Ashton, in the video. Explain really quickly uh, what VIP Ministry is all about. Oh, I'm so excited. But yes, we are calling it VIP Ministry because like I said in the video, we want everybody in our community that has any sort of special need or awesome ability like Tim to be able to come to our church on a Sunday morning with their families, walk in the doors of our church and know how important they are to our church, to our community and to God. And we want to love them and include them and make them know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and they are meant to be here. Awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> so we have a, 
We have a mission statement for the VIP ministry. We do. And, uh, and I'm not sure if we have it up on the screen, but oh yeah, there we go. There it is. It is to include people of all abilities and their families in the church and to lead them in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what I love about this mission statement, to include. Not to isolate, not to cast aside, to include people of all abilities. Because God's created all of us and have a place where they can come. This, this can be a safe haven. Like that quote that I read earlier, the church is oftentimes a painful place for people that have different abilities. And so we want to we change that. Uh, so Ashton, real quick, uh, how is this practically going to work? What does the VIP ministry look like? Yep. So we're going to have VIPs, people with any sort of special ability, and then we're going to have a volunteer. And so our hope is that when a person with any sort of ability comes into our church, we will have have a volunteer or a buddy waiting for them. And we're hoping to pair people together based on interest or age. And then we're hoping that person can be included in our church, whether they go to um, their age appropriate classroom, maybe high school ministry, or they sit in this service with their buddy so that it gives families an opportunity to be able to worship, but then for the VIP to be able to be included in our church. That's right. So in other words, we're looking for Ashton's <laughs> to, to pair it with Tim's and looking for Tim's to pair it with Ashton's. What you've been doing for the last 20 years, we want to recreate that and have, uh, I mean, both of you talked about your friendship and how important it's been and how meaningful it's been. We want to, we want to provide more opportunities to have the experience that you two have had. Uh, so, all right, next steps. We're running over on time. Next steps, Ashton, how does somebody get connected and plug in and be a part of the VIP ministry? Yep. They can head out to the foyer. Tim and I will be out there and we will have a form you can fill out. You can check the box if you want to be, if you know somebody who is a VIP or anybody that has a special ability, or you can check the box if you want to serve. If you want to be a buddy or you want, just have a heart to serve in this ministry, we have a lot of different needs and we need you. So you can sign up out there or you can head to our website at phcc.church for more information or to sign up. Awesome. And that video we just shared a moment ago with Ashton and Tim sharing this announcement of the VIP ministry, we're going to be sharing that publicly on social media after our second service today. So if you're on social media, Instagram, Facebook, if you see that, I would encourage you to share that. Tag anybody that you might know or families that have people of different abilities. And let's get the word out that no matter what you look like, no matter what you talk like, no matter what abilities you have or what abilities you don't have, Pinion Hills Community Church in Farmington, New Mexico is a place where you belong. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my best friends on stage, I thank you for those who have different abilities. I pray that this can be a place where, where people can come in with all sorts of different abilities and that they're not pushed aside, they're not alienated, they're not, they're not uh, cast aside as outcasts, but that we can include, that we can be loving, that in your name, Jesus, that we can be difference makers and that this place, this town in San Juan County can be more inclusive than it's been ever before. So God, I pray for those who have different abilities, that the word could be uh, reaching to them, that they perhaps would try to come to a church, maybe for the first time, for the families that have family members of different abilities, that they would, they would choose to, to be a part of this new VIP ministry. God, I pray for blessings over this ministry, for the volunteers right now that are listening or watching online, that you're tugging on their heart right now, that maybe I should do this. I want, I want somebody in my life like Tim Harris. Maybe they're, you're nudging them right now. God, I pray for the courage and the strength and the, the action step of choosing to get involved in this ministry. God, I thank you for the fact that you've made each one of us diverse. We all have different abilities, and you love every single one of us because you have created us, and you have a purpose for every one of our lives. God, we say thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.